I V M. The Inheritors Podcast Series by Bloomberg Quint. Welcome to The Inheritors by Bloomberg Quint, a podcast series. I am Sonu Bhasin. Today we have with us Navneet Singh, and we are going to be talking about people in the family business. Navneet Singh is the chairman and managing director in India for Conferry International. He also leads the technology and professional services market and the HR COE for India. Navneet has built a strong reputation for advising companies on CEO appointments in both family-owned and professional companies, and these are both domestic and multinational. Welcome, Navneet. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Sonu. My pleasure to be here too. So we were we were just chatting about how difficult it is to find people, and you have to find people not only for your clients who are companies. Family-owned and professionals, but you also have to find people for yourselves. So, is there a similarity between what people want and what you want? So, the question is: Is are are employers looking for a particular kind of a person? Is there a similarity? See, I think uh, the market in the last uh, four to five years has uh, changed dramatically. Uh, so if you look at most of the senior people in the country today across uh, sectors who are ceos whether family owned or otherwise in the age groups of 55 60 most of them when they were growing up uh, the ladder of corporate life a lot of them for their own insecurities at that time did not hire people who were far more superior to themselves right as a result of which today uh, and i can give you multiple examples across sectors where there just isn't enough people out there at senior levels whether it's at the ceo level or a cxo level and as a correlation to that what's happening is your cost of acquisition of talent is going up at such a dramatic rate at such a dramatic rate that a lot of senior people are paid more than their bosses sitting in singapore or hong kong or timbuktu right and uh, i i think the expectations have changed the markets have changed uh, and my advice to most ceos whether indian or otherwise is that you need to start hiring people for potential rather than readiness right because right. the moment you start looking for people that he's ready for this job let's hire him his only motivation to move will be more money or a bigger title i was handling 1000 people now i'll handle 5000 people but wherever you see someone who has the ability to step up he will not only be hungry to succeed but he will make that extra effort to be seen as someone who's actually done it right. and that experience in itself will help him grow uh, and therefore we are seeing at least in some sectors your age groups are becoming much younger uh, traditional manufacturing still says that oh we would like to have someone who's 50 plus Uh, somebody who has gray hair gray hair and someone yeah. who can command respect right now if you look at the ubers and the olas and the likes of the world you know if you show them anyone above 45 they'll say this is or the cow like or, amazon says or the cow or the cow or the cow and in fact one of my partners who looks after the digital vertical i don't remember the last time he wore a suit mm 
Right. He's in his T-shirt and jeans in office all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is actually very interesting that you're saying that the uh, you know the, the top talent is actually getting younger. But when I look at family businesses, the patriarchs are older, and they are refusing to let go because the opportunities are huge. And you know, at sixty and even at sixty-five, they don't want to give up control. How do patriarchs deal with this younger top talent? Because I can't imagine a patriarch being happy with uh, his CEO walking into office in uh, flip-flops. Yeah. You know, actually, it's a mixed bag. Uh, so if you look at the Mahindras of the world, uh, if you look at the Tebedla group, a lot of them evolved managerially and professionally many decades ago. One, because Mr. Anand Mahindra took over at a young age, uh, Kumar Mangalam Birla took over at a young age, and I think they themselves evolved and the management evolved with them. Uh, and therefore, if you see management talent there, uh, is of a different order. Uh, they're as good or as bad as any good company in the world. But then if you go down to some of the older companies, and I won't take their name for confidentiality reasons, a lot of change is now being driven by their children uh, who've come from the Harvards and the Yales and the Berkeleys of the world who are actually influencing their parents that we need to change, though it's still taking time. Right. Uh, and I can give you a very live example. Yeah. Uh, I was working with one of the larger Indian steel groups. Uh, uh, people can guess what I'm going to say now. So I was working with the Sun right. th three years ago, four years ago. And uh, we were doing a lot of back office work for him. He then went to Harvard, came back. Uh, and he's therefore become that much maturer and handling more responsibilities. And we are doing some very credible work for him. Uh, and he listens. Uh, and because he's in control and command, his father therefore listens to him. He, his cousin, uh, is again a very large business group in North India. He spoke to him and said, listen, we want to now revamp our firm. We've just come out of the red. They've been... In, uh, all kinds of uh, situations. And he said, listen, why don't you go and speak to Navneet? So I met this youngster, Yale graduate, uh, just coming. He's just two months old into the father's business. Right. Uh, they've hired uh, I mean, they've hired all kinds of consultants all, all who are giving them firms. all kinds yeah. of advice. And uh, he meets me over a weekend. This is, and this is as fresh as two weeks, three weeks ago. Right. And he said, Navneet, I want to do this, I want to do that, blah, 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 blah. I said, listen, that's a secondary situation. The point is, and I'm individually a very black and white, I, I will tell it to you on your face, I'm not scared of authority, because I believe that the advice we give is right. Absolutely. And what the market will perceive of you. And using firms like us is also a branding exercise for yourself as a company. Absolutely. Because... Candidates, I mean, we work for clients, but candidates is also a raw stock and we would not like to walk them down the, you know, devil's path. As a right, right. So this youngster that you met huh. over the weekend. Yeah, and uh, he said, you know, we've called people out of retirement. All our CEOs are 67, 68. I think they belong to a different world. I said, listen, first and foremost, you need to ask your HR head. Axe your? HR head. HR head. 
and your finance guy and so on and so forth. So he's now listening to me. He's actually now making notes. I said, your father, uh, and this could well be perception uh, because I don't know him. Uh, but this is what I hear from the market, that he's a very impatient individual. He can be sometimes rude and so on and so forth. And then as a reflex action, he naturally defended his father and said that he has low tolerance for fools, he's impatient, blah, blah, blah. I said, that's fine, but I'm again to give you perception. And that is why you, you need to use better firms to clear that perception in the market. Right. So we had three meetings after that, over a period of eight days. And then he said, I want you to meet my father. Right. So now we're sitting there with the father last weekend. And uh, the conversation starts and, okay, what have you briefed him, this, that and the other. I took him through whatever. And uh, he said, Navneet, you know, we've never used large firms, but we typically never pay more than one month's salary as commission. As commission, right. Okay. But you guys are big, so, and you've been referred by so-and-so. So we'll pay two months. Hmm. I said, Mr. So-and-so, Firstly, I don't even want to have a conversation around fees. Let us first understand what is your actual need, why do you need that individual, and why don't you have people internally who can do that job even if they're two levels down? And then figure out what is the range of salaries that you are willing to pay because you've just come out of the red and you are you know, into building the black, your, building your yes. reputation all over again, and you suddenly don't want to go overboard and hire three years in advance of what your firm can actually afford or take. Right. Now, no one's told him that. Right. Because any Everybody other... Everybody wants the business. Everyone wants the business. And uh, so that took him back. I said, my view now is, let's... So he said, I also need a CEO. I also need a chief operating officer. And I said, you are the managing director. Why do you need these two guys? Because all your plant heads are reporting to the CEO... They're also reporting to the CEO. And, and they're, they're also, also reporting, reporting to, to you. you. Absolutely. Why do you need that, guys? So my advice is hire a chief operating officer who has the potential to become a CEO in two years' time. Till such time you're there anyway, you know, and you're not going away anyway. And it will take your boy another three to four years to get a handle. That got him. So I said, my view is now as follows. We should only do these five positions. I will go back and send you some benchmark profiles so that we are calibrated. I will create the job specs. I will create the search strategy. I will give you what the market pays for this job. And then, once we are in agreement with that, or what you can afford, then we will talk about fees. Right, right, right. And that conversation now is happening on Monday morning. Right, right, right. So therefore, if you look at some of the... I won't call them old age, but someone who have been steeped in traditions of loyalty has yeah. to change. Has to change. And a lot of that change is happening not only by virtue of the second generation coming, but also the demands of their own employees internally who are also young, who are also, after all, all the 55, 60-year-old will go away. Yes. In the next few years. Because they have people who are waiting for them to go away. Absolutely. And uh, uh, the longer they stay, they actually do harm the business. business. But nobody actually tells them that. Absolutely. And uh, for people who do tell them, uh, uh, the response is not very pleasant. So over a period of time, uh, 
you know, the older lot hears only what they want to hear. But you said a very important thing. And let me just delve a little deeper into that. You said that in your conversation, you focused on the work and the reason why uh, uh, X, Y, Z tasks needed to be done for the business and money was secondary. In another episode, we were talking about businesses that are not doing well and, you know, external investors coming in. Uh, and, you know, a senior person from a large PE fund said that money is really not the main reason. There's a whole lot of other softer issues that we look at. And there seems to be consistency between what was said in that episode and what you are saying, that it's not about the money. It's not about, uh, uh, you know, it's about people. Right. And you are in the people's business. You have been in the people's business. You've interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of top talent. Now, what is it that top talent themselves need to do to be able to fit into these leadership roles with family-owned businesses? And let's face it, there are going to be more roles available in family-owned businesses than in professional, uh, professionally managed companies because 90% of world commerce is in the hands of family-owned businesses. So what do professionals need to do? You give advice on both sides. So do share with some of the listeners what do professionals themselves need to do? You know, this is a very, it's a very good and pertinent question. Uh, let's be honest, I mean, you've been a corporate executive yourself and in the last five to ten years, most senior executives and CXOs, I personally think, have made more money than they ever imagined they would have made. And they've made sometimes more than the promoters themselves. Right. Uh, and therefore, you know, you will always have that aberrated individual who's only chasing money. But uh, I think everyone is financially secure. And uh, therefore, our advice to them always is, please ask the right questions. Uh, I have two CEO finalists for a very large India group uh, uh, who are going to be finally a decision will be taken on the 29th of September, uh, where they're both coming with presentations separately. And my only advice to them is, please ask questions. Please ask what your responsibilities will be because the lines have to get drawn right in the beginning to the extent of 70%. It will never be 100% because no one is going to hand over the keys of the house to you tomorrow morning. Absolutely. You, you have to win the trust, whether it's a multinational, whether it's an Indian group, a lot, lot more in Indian groups. And I think the level of tolerance of candidates... Uh, so people who come from Indian business houses to Indian business houses understand that. But people who have been pure play, hardcore, blue-blooded multinationals, for them to transit to an Indian business house is not easy. Right. And vice versa. Right. And we've seen failures there enough and more. Spectacular failures. I mean, we go back, I think, 25 years and we had Amitabh Bachchan complaining about his CEO right. who came from a blue, true blue-blooded training ground of all other yeah. multinational yeah. CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. And the two just couldn't get I along. Mean, in fact, Amitabh Bachchan has, these are public uh, uh, reports, yeah. he blamed him personally for bankrupting the whole company. I agree. And, and, and it was a clear-cut, not only a chemistry match, but also sometimes 
people get hired by virtue of the name that they carry on their shoulder. The, hmm. the brand behind the brand. them and the re- designation on their cards. And what they don't realize is that sometimes these don't matter. And to my mind, I have a theory on this that most people are good managers. Uh, what differentiates a good from a bad is when you are moving, you take steps which are far larger than what you are inherently capable of. Because all of us in our own minds believe that we are the best. We can do everything in the world. And then you go and take up a job which is maybe far more complex than you actually think you are capable of doing. But you have taken it because you think you can do it. And when you land up, you fail. Right. Despite the fact that everyone individually and inherently knows what their inherent capabilities are. Right. Right. And that's when a good manager becomes a bad manager because it made the wrong choice. Right. And even therefore, when I am with candidates and sometimes they come to you because they know you're running this engagement and you're not, they are not on your radar and they'll get through to you through multiple sources despite the fact that you may know them. And then I will tell them that, Sonu, I don't think you're ready for this job. Right. You will fail if you go there. Right. And I don't want to ruin your life. You need to do one, two, three, four things before you're ready. And believe in me, I will come back to you. Right. So you cannot imagine how many lives we save as a result thereof. And how grateful they are. And whenever they become successful, they will always remember that advice. Yeah. So I think our bigger job is also towards the candidates. And going back to the original question as to what is the advice you would give candidates, especially when they work with... Indian business houses, especially companies which are changing. Because that's when, uh, you know, you're at the highest risk. Because the owners themselves are also testing you, whether they're also ready to let go. So you have to be patient. You have to be patient with the owners. You have to move the cheese slowly. Don't try to gobble it up altogether. Because you will fail then. Right. How aware do you think you are of your laws and rights? Do you look up to laws when you are caught up in situations? Do you know what your rights are when you are stuck somewhere bad? Well, here's a show that can help you move an inch closer to being aware of what your rights are. Tune into Know Your Kanoon with me, Amar Rana. This is a podcast meant to answer all your law-related queries. Catch Know Your Kanoon every week on the IVM website or the app or anywhere you get your podcast from. We talked about uh, uh, what is the advice that you would give uh, candidates on how to prepare themselves to work for a family business. Let's flip the question a bit. A lot more youngsters are coming back who are family business owners in the next gen. And they are coming back and they feel that they are ready to take on their father's job. What is the advice that you would give them? how can they become better CEOs of their own family businesses? So as part of our advisory and consulting business, uh, we are working uh, with the sons, three sons of three of the top 10 groups in this country. Uh, And we have coaches aligned with them. Uh, They're all restless. Uh, They're all 28 to 30 year olds very well educated, they also know and privately will tell you 
that our dad is screwing his people and I want to change it. Right. And most of them start their lives and want to take control of HR as a function. Right. And that and is where is that? that is where the influence starts. Hmm. Right. And I can give you examples of three big CHROs I placed in the last two years in these groups. And they all said, oh, we want to go and report to the chairman. And it's all there. But the chairman has no time for you because you're not important to him. Right. It took us about a year for us to counsel them that don't waste your time with the dad. Right. Go with the son. All of their reportings eventually change to the sons. And they are the happiest people themselves because they can now push the agenda through the son. Right. And the son himself is also getting educated in the process as to what a people agenda means. Right. And therefore, right. when the father and the mother and the son and the wife sit the around dining the dining table, table. Right. he talks to him. Hmm. And it's similarly with uh, this conversation I had with this Delhi company and the son sitting there. And the son's not an MBA, he's just a Yale undergrad. And... He was so sure of himself and he was telling his dad, no, I don't think what you're saying is right. I've already had this chat with Navneet and this is what he's also saying. I think that's what we should do. Because I was aligned in my thinking with the youngster. But later on, I told the youngster, I said, listen, don't try and rush things because you will fail. Do things slowly. Learn, grasp, absorb, be seen. Because if you do too many things together, people's expectations of you will also change. And right. therefore, you will not be able to do everything all the time. Yeah. No. So this, you know, rushing into it is uh, what I would actually, uh, let me just give it another word. Let me just say enthusiasm. Um, how, you know, in, for a professional to have an enthusiasm, uh, there is, you know, a set of bosses and a set of processes that act as natural windbreakers for their, you know, gush of enthusiasm. But for a young family business inheritor, that enthusiasm actually can go unchallenged. How, how can the enthusiasm and experience of the earlier generation work hand in hand? Uh, the examples that come to mind are those where the enthusiasm is conflicted by the experience. But pure enthusiasm can take a business only so far and only experience can grow the business only at a certain pace. Any, any insights into the marrying of enthusiasm and experience? See, I think uh, what one has also seen and observed very carefully with them, despite their enthusiasm and despite their rush to do things, they value the judgment of their father. When it comes to taking a longer term view if the father is a first generation, fine, but typically fathers would be second generation and the son would be the third. Uh, they value that. Uh, but yet at the same time, these youngsters are far more there. They understand the market far more because they are relating, you know, to friends, colleagues who are all young and therefore global and therefore understanding it far more better. Whereas... Uh, the top man will only interact at Davos with his counterparts who are already industrialists of the same genre. Right. Uh, and therefore, their views become a little myopic to that extent and therefore not opened up. And for them to hang around with a 30-year-old and listen to uh, Bhavesh or 
a bansal is very different. Okay, they may have got the respectability to trade by virtue of how big they've become. Uh, so I think the children have understood that. Uh, they maneuver their parents in some form or fashion to get them to understand and listen. And I think the, the parents are also listening now. You know, it's like you and me telling our own children, we may try and tell them what to do, but they will still go ahead and do what they have to do. Well, what I've learned, <laughs> Navneet, is that it's always a process of negotiation. Always. You win some, you lose some. Uh, but the sweetest words are, I told you so. So. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, a lot of senior executives uh, come to me and tell me, listen, can you Navneet speak to my daughter or my son who's just finished his MBA or is doing his MBA or his undergrad and they don't listen to me. But they will listen to you because you're third party and you're in that business. And in fact, I'm having this very interesting conversation with this uh, girl in the US who finishes her MBA uh, later this year. Uh, she's the daughter of one of the largest, biggest CFOs in this country, and if not in the world. The world. And uh, so he says, Navneet, can you have a chat with my daughter? And uh, I want you to give her some career coaching and counseling. And she's hell-bent on being in the U.S. So I said, listen, you'll get a McKenzie or a BC's job tomorrow morning, day one in Harvard or Berkeley or wherever you are. But do you want to be that one amongst the million carrying a bag on Monday to Friday, coming home and having sleepless nights? Or do you want to come back to one of the best economies in the world? And she's got five, six, seven years of very good experience. So I just seeded it and let her go. And then I had two, three other conversations and I was going back to the father and just keeping him in the loop because I'm sure she would come back to him and he should know but yet not know. Uh, so I shouldn't use the word engineer but I was actually telling her what she should be doing and she, after four sessions, she's actually come back to her dad and told her, told him exactly what, what he would have told her any which way. <laughs> but it's come as her suggestion <laughs> and therefore there's more Absolutely. ownership. Absolutely. Yeah, so counseling and coaching, uh, I guess, works for professionals and the, uh, your own children in the same manner. Uh, coming back to family businesses and the next gen coming back. Now, there's a, a lot of cases when the next gen don't actually want to come back and do their uh, father's business uh, what advice do you give it give to the to the patriarch at that time uh, is it to get in an external ceo is it to continue doing whatever he or she in most cases it's he uh, is doing or to or, or what what advice would you, you give know, i i go back to my first job at aishar way back in 83 when vikram lal was uh, the owner of Aishar. In the six years that I spent there, but for the annual day, we never saw him. Because he had handed over the reins completely to professionals way back in 83. And as his son Siddharth grew and you know went and did whatever he did, and then they had bought this sick royal infield then. Right. And Aishar continued to be managed by complete professionals, complete, who would report into the board, Vikram would manage through the board. Well, Siddharth went and took over uh, Royal Enfield off his own. And it's history now. Right? Now, even today, that same DNA flows through him and he has gone and hired 
Rudy as the president of the business who runs the shop. And Siddharth has moved to London because he wants to do things externally right. and create an international. So there are multiple such examples where, you know, you do have patriarchs who get a problem. Look at the Dabur family, you know, where they've created the home office. Uh, the Burman family. The Burman Dabur's. family. Uh, we are seeing the Kanorias do that now in Calcutta, uh, where they have a home office and everyone's part of that. Uh, and everyone has shareholding in multiple end. And you get paid for your contribution and your equity there. But it's run by professionals. Right. You know, and, right. Uh, and, and there are multiple such examples where one sees it happening. And uh, uh, you look at Wipro. I mean, Mr. Premji may be the chairman. He may be a 76% owner. But he doesn't manage it day to day at all. I mean, he manages it through the board and Abid runs the shop. Right. Right. So this is when uh, uh, people get in professionals and the company then becomes a board-managed one. But for first generation, or maybe even second, when the businesses are growing, in your experience, have you found there being a right time for the promoters to actually start looking for an external CEO, an external professional so to come in? You, right. So if you really look at some of uh, the larger or now larger uh, business houses, we've also seen a trend when the companies aren't doing too well or they are financially mismanaged is when the promoters get very, very actively involved. And as soon as you start seeing them recovering and the path to growth is there, uh, there are some people like this Delhi conversation I'm having is at that stage. Hmm. Now, I personally believe that, and that's why I'm telling them, don't get a managing director today. Let him grow with you as you come from the red to the tan to the black, uh, rather than getting someone in, because he then grows with you. Uh, that's one option, which I think a lot of uh, Indian business houses are following. Uh, on the other hand, there are also some companies who continue to be extremely professional, uh, or rather extremely owner-managed, yet very cash rich, but they're still not ready to get hand over the reins completely to a professional. So I'm coming to this. Why, in your opinion, why do you think and in your experience, why are they not ready to hand over? See, I personally think that one, you know, they, they just can't get over the fact that they continue to be hands-on and want to be, con, you know, controllers of what's happening there. And we've seen enough examples, including some of the top uh, five business houses here, uh, where they just don't want to let go. And but even if no, they do get in a CEO, they will always control. But Namdi, the same thing happens even in large professionally managed companies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are large groups where, uh, uh, which are board run ostensibly, but uh, the chairman and managing director or the chairman has just refused Used to, to retire. Absolutely. And even when they retire, they take on yeah. an emeritus uh, yeah. role. Absolutely. So, uh, the point is that the patriarchs, when they do it, uh, they do get a bad name. Yeah. Uh, but it affects their business as well. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, you can divide this into two buckets. Uh, one, of course, professionally so-called board-run companies, uh, which are not owned by an individual but continue to be uh, professionally managed and the chairman don't want to go let go. There are some examples where they are finally letting it go. That too, after great pressure from either the media or internal or 
the board or whatever else. Uh, but on the other hand, if you even look at the India business houses, uh, some of the larger ones, uh, they just don't want to let go. I mean, I've seen that. We've placed some senior MDs who are now cribbing and moaning as to why did we do this. Right. They're just not ready to do that. Right. Uh, and, and it's not about your name because your name is a legacy in itself. You know, no one's going to forget you even by virtue of a managing director coming under you. But for some very crazy insecurities in their own selves, they're just not letting it go. They're just not letting it go. And, and despite there's enough pressure from their own children who are yeah. also in the business, yeah. uh, they will never give 100%. It will always hover around the 60 to 75 percent. And uh, But then we've had cases in some other large business houses where the patriarch did divide the business in his lifetime and was thrown out by his favorite son. Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe that uh, then sets off a bad message for other patriarchs and maybe that's the reason they want to hold on. No, but you know, I... Uh, I know who you're talking about and I've worked for that company in my past where we were all traded in front of the board. I was collecting proxies through the network and so on and so forth. But then, you know, once I'm a firm believer, what you do to your parents, your children will do to you. Right. And we're seeing that every single day. Right. Vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis the company you're talking about. And now the brothers are fighting, the brothers are the shareholders. I, I, it's a, it's a it's mess. A it's circus a out there. It's a complete circus. Uh, but I think we've also seen where things have been so smooth. I mean, you look at the Murugappa group, you look at the South India groups, they are so seamless. They're so seamless in the transition from one generation to the other, to professionals. And I think it sometimes go, boils down to the North, South, East, culture. West culture. <laughs> the culture, uh, right? And... and and, and, you know, the speed at which your blood runs. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. And therefore, we found uh, Indian business houses who are in the West far more open, far more professional, far more forgiving and far more open to professionals. Vis-a-vis -vis the same families' businesses in North being diametrically different right. and opposite. No, so this culture actually plays a very important role. Yes. And uh, uh, one, of the, one of the hallmarks of our own culture, whether it's north or south, is that we have to respect our elders. Yes. And, uh, you know, each, each part of India has a very, very uh, characteristic way of manifesting the demonstration of respect. Now, that translates into business, I'm sure. So, can you talk a little about that culture being juxtapositioned against the need for performance, the need for honest conversations? And again, in your uh, experience, have you seen it being handled or have you, been, have you seen anywhere where it's just been the cause of a downfall? See, uh, you know, it again boils down to the people agenda of the firm. Uh, whether it is, uh, you know, run by the patriarch himself or his children or whatever. And again, it comes down to north, south, east, west. And uh, we've seen the large groups in the west being very honest and straightforward with their senior teams. And therefore, that becomes the environment and then it cascades. 
they go through management reviews they manage uh, through processes you know as a so called subordinate or a senior executive that this is what i need to do this is what i need to know and this is what my rewards and punishments are coming from and therefore i will act in that manner and therefore that becomes the environment of the line on the other hand uh, we also see that same culture of the same family in a different part of uh, the country you will never be straight you will always have a different expectation which is in your mind and a different expectation that has been communicated, communicated. Yeah. as a result of which the subordinate will never know yeah. how to act and behave in a particular situation because you have still not built up that bond and trust with that individual right and i'll give you this example uh, of the same family we were talking where i used to look after the family uh, house and the staff there as part of my responsibilities right. because i belong to the same community i could speak the same language and one day i'm sitting there and uh, the father says to his uh, pn i won't say it in punjabi because people may not understand but he says wo telephone directory leke aana so this guy goes and gets that big thick delhi directory if you remember it's now gone into i don't know how many volumes so he comes with this one big thick telephone directory and then he father turns to the servant and says idiot he said it in punjabi idiot i didn't talk about this i talked about the servant's directory or the servant's directory which is the company directory of the employees so oh. there was the good old days when he used to have printed right. sono basin senior vp finance right. home address phone number this that and the right. other Right. So I went back to my boss that day. I said, "Boss, you keep telling me you're one big senior management committee guy. You're a goddamn servant." <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's how yeah. you look so, at people. So, so if you really go back to some of the older family-run organizations, that culture is there even today. Right. And that is why you will see these sixty, sixty-five, seventy-year-old people hanging because they become so subservient to the whole environment of the ownership model. that they cannot dream of doing anything anything anywhere else right right and therefore they have never left because they would never be able to work anywhere else because the environment around them has changed yeah yeah no it's a fascinating world of uh, family businesses and yeah. the patriarchs but before we end uh, and since you do work for one of the largest uh, search firms where what is it that family businesses look for in an external ceo is it performance is it loyalty is it culture is it the way they dress is it you know whether they're vegetarians or or not what are what are the top 3 things that they look for in an external ceo so the very interesting one so for so the house of vegetarianism and alcohol was actually important huh? during right. the interview process uh, but then that was more at a lighter vein Uh, but i think what is extremely important uh, and if you are looking at a true blue ceo and not a business ceo uh, because if you are looking for a business ceo they will always check whether he knows the sector does he know oil does he know this does he know that is he a well known guy but i think most important for most people is will he fit into our environment will he fit into our culture right. will he be able to lead people or is he going to become inside and be a disruptor 
they don't like disruptors right they don't like people who are going to come in and trash the past and say i am the new light in front they don't like that right you may eventually do that but there is a maneuvering you have to manage to do that right so right. It, there's a very high degree of adaptability they look for they certainly look at integrity and trust which for them is very, i mean the kind of reference checks and in this country every industrialist knows everyone <laughs> right absolutely right. they've all grown up together and, but a lot of times they will go by perceptions and not the realities and therefore what we have developed as conferry globally after millions of assessments we've created a tool called kf4d it's the conferry fourth dimension and uh, you know we make people go through that uh, after having agreed with the client what are the traits and what we've seen is that people who get selected after doing that have a 80% higher chance of succeeding in that job so a lot of tools are coming into play even at the ceo level in terms of hiring it's not about psychometrics it's not about a psychologist and all those pieces because i think overall the softer aspects of the individual at that level are far far more important than business results because that is where you've reached where you have anyway yeah yeah and you know the more we focus on the business and the more we focus on the numbers uh the discussions that we are all having actually makes us realize makes me realize oh. that numbers actually are just an outcome Absolutely. it's all about the people and it's all about how you treat people and how you look at people and how you get people to do what you want them right. to do so it's a fascinating area absolutely how do you get them to realize their own potential because a lot of us are curtailed by our own inability to see inside our own selves yeah and that's the hallmark of a true leader yeah they can get work out of people who absolutely. others believe are not, not capable, capable of working yeah absolutely. so it's actually been fascinating navneet thank you for taking time out and My it was a pleasure uh, talking to you thank, thank you so thank, thank you, you. The Inheritors podcast series by Bloomberg Quint. Every week comes a show where three people come together to tell you about stuff they like. A movie, a TV show, a book, and other stuff. Tune in every Monday on the IVM podcast app to IVM likes. Batman approves this message. Thank you, Batman.